Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Beauty in the Brain, the podcast where we discuss all things aesthetics. I'm your co-host, Dr. Chris Crowley. And I'm Jerry Drinkard, family nurse practitioner. Today, we have a super exciting topic for you guys. I can't wait to really delve into this. We're going to talk about filler complications, hyaluronic acid filler complications to be specific. Lots of patients come in and seek this treatment. They're wanting us to fill and plump every part of the body all over your face, your nose, your lips, your butt. But we often don't talk about the dangers associated with this and how do you handle those complications so we're gonna dive deep into that topic today and kind of let you guys know what some of the dangers and risks are and um, how we're equipped to handle those but also things that you should ask your aesthetic provider to know that they're equipped to handle these as well yeah I think it's also important for patients to know to know the risk and one of the questions that we had sent in by one of our viewers is can you actually go blind from dermal filler yeah uh, you guys keep your questions coming. It brings up a really important point. We are gonna start addressing viewer questions. We're gonna do this at the beginning and the end of all of our episodes. And uh, this one does come in and, and it, I think people don't realize that you actually can go blind from hyaluronic acid filler. And I think that uh, a lot of patients uh, maybe feel that their injectors are maybe just trying to scare them or that's not really a possibility that just by injecting this, you know, sugar water or sugar gel type product that you can actually go blind. You know, it, it seems like such an easy benign treatment when you go in and you, you're set up for a 30 minute appointment. You just don't think about the, the associated risk. And so I think when people sign up for this, they view it as something that's very safe. They completely trust their provider. And so so I think one of the things that we need to think about is, can you trust your provider? How do you vet your provider? Is the treatment you're doing, is it a low risk, high risk, medium risk, no risk, which there are very few that are no risk out there. So what do you think some of the most risky treatments are that, that are trending now? probably some of the most uh, risky treatments are gonna be liquid rhinoplasties. And uh, a lot of the injectors that may be listening, they probably know that that's a very risky area. It looks super quick and easy on you know Instagram or YouTube and the patients will uh, see that and they see someone that they wanna kind of mimic or that had a great result. And um, I don't know that they fully understand uh, the things that we are thinking about as an injector as we treat those areas. So, it, it, but let's uh, you know back up just a bit and say we did have an episode on how do you pick your aesthetic injector. That we gave a lot of tips and pointers. But really, when it comes down to hyaluronic acid fillers, what do you think are some of the questions that the patient should ask of their injector before they even venture into what area they're going to treat? I don't think it's unfair for a patient to ask about an injector's experience. You know, how much experience they have, how were they trained, how many um, specifically on liquid rhinoplasty. If I was going in to have one, I'd want to know how many my injector had done. Had they had complications? What did they think the risk could be? And if they're equipped to handle the complications that they do arise. And so, you know, I think that that's a it's maybe a little uncomfortable because nobody wants to question their medical provider, but I do think that it's our face. And so I think it's really important to, to do your homework as, as a consumer and to decide before you go in that these are things that you want to know about. Yeah, for, for sure. And I don't really even see it as questioning your uh, provider as much as like uh, making sure that you fully understand the risk of the procedure that you're about to have per perform. So I know uh, some providers may uh, find it a little bit intimidating to have to answer the questions, but really I actually kind of welcome the questions because I, I, I want my uh, patients to feel comfortable. I want them to know my training, my experience. 
And if we're going to do something risky, that's something I feel that we have to decide together as, as my case, a doctor-patient relationship. I'll inform them the risk, how I'm going to handle complications, and we can decide together if that's something that one, I'm willing to do, and if that's a risk the patient's willing to kind of take on. So I don't really find it uh, off-putting at all when patients ask me these questions. I actually encourage them because I want them to fully understand the treatment. All right. When I meet new patients, I certainly don't do it with, with all of my, my established patients, but when I have a new patient come into the clinic, I c credential myself to that patient when I meet them. I introduce myself and say, I'm Jerry, I'm a board certified family nurse practitioner. I've been doing this for X amount of years and I did my training here and we continue training and we continue teaching around the states. And I think that that's one of the things that kind of keeps like you and I on our toes as well is that we have to stay up to date on all all of the latest trends, the latest topics, and the latest fillers. There's constantly new fillers coming out, and so I think it 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 can be a little uncomfortable for a, for a patient, and I hope it's not uncomfortable for providers because I think that's kind of our time to to validate what we're going to do for that patient. Yeah, it's interesting. I was uh, teaching a class in South Florida. Um, recently, and we were discussing hyaluronic acid fillers. That was a beginning filler class, and one of the other instructors that I was teaching with brought up an interesting point is that she was kind of brought up in a time where you didn't really want to credential yourself because it almost felt like you were bragging about things and, and, and self-promoting. And she's like, now it's come full circle where really we're kind of encouraged to do that. So how do you feel about that? Has it been uncomfortable? Or do you feel like you're bragging when you start trying to tell your credentials somehow to your patients? No, I don't. Um, I feel like it increases my patient's comfort. And that's usually done during a consulting period, whether it's the first 10 or 15 minutes of, a, of an appointment for a treatment they haven't had, or if it's their first appointment in the clinic. And so I don't think that it's a bragging point. I'm proud of the training that, that I've had. But I don't think it's a bragging point. I think it's a point to tell that patient that they're in the right place. They're in a place that's going to treat them safely. They're in a place that's going to give them the best outcome that's possible to give them and that we're going to do it in a safe manner without causing harm to them. And so I think it's a comforting thing for the patient because most of the time patients have a little anxiety around these treatments, you know. Um, do you view it as a, a bragging? No, I, I feel um, a little bit awkward stating some of the things sometimes. I think I've first experienced this trying to write a brief bio even for our website and trying to give some uh, input into how we could word that because yeah, I kind of was brought up in that time as well. You wanted other people maybe to recognize your accomplishments, but to kind of state them yourself felt a bit like bragging. But I also agree with you 100% and I've kind of uh, you know, come around to that point that, uh, especially when we're meeting patients for the first time, we want them to fully understand our training, our experience, and our limitations, because there are definitely things that, that um, you know, someone else may do better than, than we do, and the patient right. should have a right to make that choice. So I agree wholeheartedly that uh, we have to credential ourselves to our patients to let them know what our training, our experience, our limitations are, so they go un under these procedures with knowledge of what could go wrong. So we talked a little bit about blindness, and obviously that's one that's kind of very rare, but out there and very severe and scary for everybody. But let's um, talk about a little bit more, what do we commonly see with filler problems? What do you think is one of the most common things that we see? The most common is bruising. And I tell every patient that anytime I put a needle in them, there's a risk for a bruise. Um, one of the things that we talk about in every course we teach is anatomy, the importance of anatomy, and we know where vessels are supposed to be 
but we also know that that's not that's not going to be the case in every single patient. And so I always make patients aware as part of our consent, part of our intake on patients. Um, is but I would say that bruising is the number one complication, if you want to call it that. You know, fortunately, we haven't seen a, a lot of you know vascular occlusions. We've had some episodes. You had one as recent as yesterday where we've had some positive aspirations, and I think that's where it comes important to trust your provider. That initial patient visit is really about establishing trust, and so that gives you an opportunity to do it. When you get a positive aspiration. Um, you just avoided something that could have been really traumatic, especially in the case that, that you just had. Yeah, so we talk a, a lot about, um, you know, different ways that we can keep you safe. And, um, you know, a little bit later in this episode, we're going to talk about specifically how do we handle those complications? How do we avoid them? What are tools and techniques that we have in our practice that we could use? Um, and I did have this just occur uh, yesterday, and it was something that, that we adjusted our injection technique a little bit to avoid those complications. So I think one of the things that we even see, short of these really kind of uh, extreme things um, right there along with bruising, is gonna be some pretty, uh, what we consider minor things. So maybe a little bit of asymmetry. So we're all a bit uneven or asymmetric uh, from one side to the other. And our goal is kinda to always uh, make the patient as symmetric as possible. But um, that's not always possible in the first treatment. So sometimes we have to do touch-up treatments. Pretty rare, we've seen it. Um, unfortunately, not as much in our patients as we've got more experience and we have more fillers available, but you can have some little nodules or bumps. Patients may actually be able to touch or feel some of the hyaluronic acid fillers. Um, you know, with the newer uh, fillers on the market, we don't see that as much. When we first started, you could see that a little bit more uh, with some of the, the older products that we were uh, using. But we really have a lot of ways that we can manage that. And let's start just kind of with like the most common way that we can manage that. And with a lump or a bump, I usually recommend massage as the first line of therapy. Yeah, and mine's the same. Um, I'd, I'd recommend massage, but let's just use lips as an example because that's one of the most frequently um, treated areas in the clinic. But a lot of times those lumps and bumps are not necessarily caused from the product, but it can actually be from the trauma from the needle. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I always talk patient with patients when we're going over their post care is, you know, you may feel lumps and bumps for the next few days. And if they continue after five days, contact us at the office. I'll massage them before they leave and, you know, try to be sure that it's not a, a actual filler. But if it is in fact, then, you know, that still gives us time to do some manual manipulation of the of the product that's in there. And then we also have some other things we can do. If it is, does happen, if some of these patients have had lip filler numerous times. They've had lip filler over the years. We have a couple of patients that have had lip implants actually removed, and so it changes the anatomy of the lip, it changes the compartments within the lip, it changes the vascular nature of the lip. And so with those patients, it becomes a real challenge for us because when we're putting that gel in, we don't know exactly where it's gonna track. You know, there are pockets that are in there that, that are free space now, and so if they do end up feeling a lump or bump, it may be the product that we need to dissolve or to mas massage and manipulate out. Can you dissolve all types of filler? Are you asking me? Or are you I'm asking you because it's a question that comes in all the time. Can you just dissolve it? You can dissolve HA filler. 
What is, and, and let's tell our people who may not know what is an HA filler. So the most common hyaluronic acid fillers are gel type fillers that the most common on the market are your Restylane's and your Juvederms, and there there's several that are that are out there now. But these are are gel based fillers. They're not the biostimulants such as Sculptra and Radius. And when we get into those that aren't technically fillers, those biostimulants, and we use the words interchangeably a lot, I think, and those aren't as easily dissolved. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what I was getting into because some of the people, they hear HA and they don't even know what HA is. And so that's hyaluronic acid. And so those are the gel type fillers that a lot of companies make. And so we have our Restylane's, Juvederms, RHA, uh, Versa. All of those are that hyaluronic acid or that it's a, a, a gel-like substance. And this is something that's naturally occurring in our body. And, um, you know, we're kind of making hyaluronic acid and breaking it down continuously. And so we have that enzyme in our body that's always breaking down our own hyaluronic acid. But it also is what, um, you know, kind of helps us or speeds up metabolism of some of the hyaluronic acid fillers that we inject. So when we have patients that really go through it quickly or they say, hey, that didn't last uh, that long on me. Um, we know that they can have some higher levels of that enzyme in their body that breaks it down. We know that people who are athletes or really high metabolism rates, they'll go through some of this filler a little bit quicker. So one of the things that, that patients may consider a complication or a side effect would be the filler not lasting or not creating the uh, desired result. And so we know that sometimes we can create that result, but it may not last as long as we thought based on some of the patient's individual characteristics. So what's your approach to that when they come in and they kind of see that it's worn off in an area a lot faster than they thought? Again, it's, it's one of those things I try to address on the initial visit. And patients, we treat a pretty big patient population that are bodybuilders, and those patients have a you know, higher metabolism, they exercise a lot, and they're gonna tend to burn through these products. They're neurotoxin as well as their HA fillers a lot faster than other patients. And so I think patient education up front is, um, is key and I think their trust that we're using the best product for that area. And so, you know, if I do see that they're metabolizing a product that's faster, then I can use a product that's more suited that may last a little longer. So I may use something with a higher G-prime. But I think it's really important to tell that patient up front, you know, the packet insert, if you want to call it that, is going to say that you may get 12 months out of that. But with your uh, metabolism, I don't predict that you're going to use it that long, that you probably will have to come back in at six months, or you may have to come back in at eight months. You know, if you set a patient up for that, then they're going to expect it. But if you tell a patient this product's going to last you for 12 to 14 months, and they get eight months out of it, then they're probably going to go somewhere else and say, you know, Chris's filler didn't last me as long or Jerry's filler didn't last me as long. So I think that um, just being upfront with the patient and, and letting them know, you know. Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, that comes into the importance of knowing your injector, trusting your injector, making sure that you, as an injector, if you're an injector yourself, that you're honest and upfront with your patients and you know the products or the tools that you have in your toolbox. So we talked about the HA products that we can dissolve, and that's the things like our hyaluronic acid fillers. And you kind of touched a little bit on some of the biostimulants. And so the ones that are most commonly used in the U.S. right now are going to be our Bellafil, Sculptra, and Radius. And all those have slightly different um, uh, molecules or particles in them to stimulate collagen. Some of them will fill immediately. Some of them you have to wait a little bit of time for the collagen to develop, but they're not as easily reversed or dissolved. So you want to make sure that uh, as you're choosing a product or you uh, talk to your injector about it, that you understand what are the 
options to reverse or dissolve that product if you don't like the results or if you have a complication. So the biostimulants are, are a, a great addition to many practices. We use them a lot in our practice and we have really good results with it, but we also know that we don't use those in super high risk areas or areas that we may see it because we can't reverse them as easily. So let's talk a little bit then about the hyaluronic acid filler complications because that is what we use in higher risk areas. So kind of the common things like bruising, asymmetry, lumps, bumps, we can take care of those fairly easily. But let's talk about the complications that we kind of mentioned at the beginning of this episode and that I think are the most feared complications for an injector. None of us want to have a vascular occlusion. We're all really afraid of that. But for a patient, so they understand, like, what does this look like? So what do you explain uh, to patients or when you're teaching new injectors to look for if they're looking for a vascular occlusion? One of the first things is blanching, capillary refill extreme pain and a pain that's not anticipated at that site. And I think when you, you set the patient up for that, then they kind of guide you. They, they know that the injection itself is, is going to be uncomfortable just because of a needle stick. But do they have a, a pain that radiates or pain that's in an area of the face other than what you're actually injecting, that that's not, not the predicted outcome. And so um, I think having the patient aware of that, talking to the patient kind of through the treatment, you can watch expressions. I always watch patients' toes is one of the things I watch when I'm injecting patients or patients' fingers on the arms of the chair. And so you get to know your patients, but I think having them aware, because you don't want a hyper-awareness either. You don't want them to be so paranoid that they don't want the treatment. Do you have things that you look for? Yeah, I mean, so I think all the things you just included, so I think probably, you know, one of the early things is going to be tissue color change, um, but that's going to be where it's up to the injector to know the anatomy like the back of their hand. And so I always will um, teach new injectors uh, before they venture into an area to, you know, look at an app on their phone or review an anatomy textbook some refresher course, take an anatomy course, take a cadaver anatomy, where you can really know those uh, the vascular supply in the area that you're working. Because if you understand that anatomy, you'll know where to look for predicted problems. So if we don't understand that at all, um, we may be injecting in one area, have a problem in another area, not put those two things together. So I think a thorough understanding of the anatomy is one thing as an injector. Um, and then when I'm injecting, I watch for those areas. So I'll look at areas that I anticipate that there could be a problem. And if there's anything concerning there, um, you know, I pause, stop injection, evaluate it further. Some of the other things I do, and, and I know you do, and, and we do in our practice, and, and we teach this, is an aspiration technique. And so we're trying to avoid putting this gel into a blood vessel. We can put it in different areas, different tissue planes, but we really wanna avoid it in a blood vessel. And so we will stop and we will aspirate our drawback on the plunger. And so we're looking for any sort of uh, blood in that syringe. And we really do that kind of seamlessly. I don't even know that the patients realize that, that we're doing that step, but we're looking for any sort of blood in the hub of the needle that would say, yeah, you may be in a vessel in an artery or vein that we don't want to occlude with this gel. And so when we aspirate it, if we see blood, we stop and move to a different area. Um, and as long as it's negative, it doesn't mean that we're not in there. Um, it's not 100% certain, but it is a way that we can assess if we're in the right tissue plane before we push the gel in. Uh, what are some other tools that, that we have in, in our office or maybe that you've heard about out there that people can use to make sure they're not putting these in a vessel? There's ultrasound technology that um, that's available and it's, it's pretty nice. You can see it in real time. You can actually see the gel 
um, coming out of the needle. You can see if it's going into a vessel. We use it for complication management if we're looking for a complication that's already occurred. We frequently dissolve fillers that people have gotten from other injectors, we've had to dissolve filler people have gotten from us as well. But, um, you know, I think the using the ultrasound is really beneficial because in the past we've gone, we've basically gone based on manipulation of the tissue and the way it felt and could we fill, a, fill um, the filler in that area. And now we have technology where we can actually see it in real time on an iPad and so, um, or a screen, I should say. And so it's, um, it's nice to have that, that technology available. In the event that we do have that occur, then we have things on hand that we can, and you can talk a little more about it, you know, some products to dissolve the filler, if, if in fact the filler is an HA. Yeah, so I, I mean, I obviously love the ultrasound technology as well, but I also um, realized that probably only one to 2% of aesthetic practices in the whole US have this technology in their practice. So I would still say that by and large, uh, people are not using this technology. So we're fortunate, we, we both um, uh, teach a lot. And so we do have this in our practice and we use it a lot kind of for demonstration purposes and teaching purposes. But I don't want uh, anyone out there listening to think if their uh, injector doesn't have an ultrasound available or it's not, uh, they're not trained on it, that that's something that's you know below the standard of care now, because I think it is still pretty common that people inject without it, and we did for years. We did we did for more than a decade. We injected without using uh, this technology, and and we're able to keep patients safe. So yeah, I love that. It's a, a great tool to have. But for those of you who may be going places, or if you're injectors that don't have the technology, use some of the other things that we talk about that will keep you safe. So. Um, another tool besides ultrasound that we can use if we're working in a high risk area is a microcannula technique. So in addition to aspirating, we can use cannulas that are technically blunt on the end. If we're gonna try to put this in a really high risk area, maybe that's something that, that we would consider. I know that I use it. I like cannulas in a high risk area a lot. I'm a huge fan of cannulas. I, I use them daily, multiple times a day. And the other thing is education, education, education as far as anatomy for us as injectors. And, and if I have anyone in there assisting me, if I have a patient's family in there watching an injection, like I constantly talk through the anatomy and say, you know, we're going in this area and we're going to try to avoid X, Y, and Z artery. And this here is where the facial artery and the facial nerve is going to travel through this. And it's a teaching point for them, but it's really for myself. And every time I inject, I never inject that I don't think about where, what's the possibility, what am I about to go into, what could I possibly be going into. I wouldn't say that that I get nervous by any means when I, when I inject, I've been doing it a long time. But I can also say that I never put a needle in someone that I don't think about what's below the surface of the skin. So I think that just, I can't enforce enough just education. Yeah, so I think it brings up two things I kind of want to like touch on there. One is the nervousness part. And you and I talk about it a lot at, at home at night and being married and working together and living together. We do talk about a lot of cases and complicated cases. And I think we both get nervous more than people think, right? We've been doing this uh, 15 years now. And for people who think that we do it just, you know, 
uh, without any kind of anxiety at all. I think that's a misperception. And I think the minute that you don't think about what's under the skin or get a little bit nervous about some of these high-risk areas, you're, you, you're, you're going to be dangerous. So, and you know, I've talked about that a lot. And then the second thing on your education point, um, yeah, that's that's something that I think is so important and that is uh, you really need to do if you're an injector uh, that is listening to us right now, you've got to educate everyone in your staff. So it's not just you. You need to know that when you're injecting, but you also need to educate everyone in your staff. And, you know, I'll tell a, 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 just a brief story before we get to the end of this, but I, it was a uh, one of my first uh, master injector courses that I was teaching for one of the, the companies and had a cosmetic dermatologist had been in practice many, many years and had a vascular occlusion with a, a HA filler in the nasolabial fold. So in that, you know, kind of deep smile line right above your upper lip. So a common area that people want treated that she had treated for a number of years. And the patient uh, went home, had some numbness, some dark discoloration on the corner of her nose and called back to the office. And the person answering the phone said, don't worry, that's numbing from the product and you're just bruising. And the patient really didn't set right. She called back again and, and talked to someone else in the office, but it never got escalated to any of the uh, people who are actually doing the injections. And so this physician didn't get an opportunity to evaluate that patient further because her staff wasn't trained. By the time the patient came back in two days later, she had total necrosis of uh, the side of her nose, ended up having to go some uh, surgical procedures. That part actually fell off and she had to have some cartilage grafts that they took from her uh, ear to, to rebuild that. And that was all from a filler just placed in an area that many of us have placed it over many years and could happen to any of us at any time. Now, had that been identified early, we do have treatment options available, and we'll kind of close this out by talking about some of the treatment options. Um, but if we wait until that's permanent, then we lose the ability to treat that tissue. And that's what happened in that case. And that was from uh, the person answering the phone and screening, kept telling the patient that she was numb from the lidocaine and um, actually had a bruise when in fact that was a numbness from the vessel being occluded and that was dark tissue from that. So it's really important to uh, not just for you to be educated as a, as a provider and to tell your patients what to look for when they go home, if they have any of these complications afterwards, but your entire staff and anybody that's going to interact with that patient anywhere along the way that they will know so they can escalate it to the right people. You know, we've talked about these horror stories, but let's kind of end on a little bit of a, a positive note, if you will. And we all think about dissolving filler, especially if it's a big complication as um, a bad thing. And I'm not saying that we aim for that, but the great thing about this is we do have some uh, products out there and some medication when we're using these gel fillers <coughs> to reverse it or dissolve it. So you want to touch on that a bit? Or yeah, catch your breath. <laughs> I need to catch my breath, man. We always have have products um, available to dissolve the the HA fillers and hyaluronidase is the most common. We always have no less than twenty vials in in our office at any given time, um, and you can get by that compound, or you can also get a you know branded name. Um, and so I think that that's, that's very important. We have an emergency kit that you can elaborate on a little bit that, that we keep available. Um, but one of the first things that we started, we recognize any type of occlusion, immediately we just start massaging some heat. 
So. Yeah, so in addition to being aware of the anatomy, knowing the complications and what you're injecting, um, I, I recommend not injecting any of the uh, hyaluronic acid fillers if you don't have this enzyme available immediately to reverse it. It's a debate about how many vials you need. If we can get it exactly in the spot, we probably don't need as much as if we uh, don't have an ultrasound or something and we kind of have to flood the area or put a lot of the product in there. Make some connections with injectors in your area, in your local network. So if you need more vials, you have some friends to call on because maybe you won't have enough in your practice and that's pretty common because we don't use this a whole lot and so reach out to those providers have a network of support uh, in your area um, you know i think you know for the patients and for the providers the key is being aware that these things can happen know that they're uh, rare make sure that your injectors have the proper training uh, to treat the areas that you're going to venture into treating if it's a high risk area consider not doing it or knowing that that injector has experience and so high risk areas are going to be nose fillers filler between the 11 lines or angry lines or fillers kind of above the eye or forehead. Any of that upper face is really a very uh, high risk area because of the, the vascular supply or the blood vessels in that region. And then uh, make sure that the, the dissolving enzyme is available. So we're aware of the complications, the anatomy, if we have it, that we have something to uh, reverse it quickly, that we attempt to inject that to uh, restore the blood supply. Um, you know, kind of know the resources in your area. Do you have access to any kind of, um, you know, interventional person, an ophthalmologist that may need some guidance if you happen to get in a vessel that supplies um, around the eye um, and, and, and have those resources available? You don't want to figure that out at the time you're having an emergency. So have that kind of lined out um, ahead of time. And I think basically if you do those things, then it's going to relatively keep you safe. It doesn't mean that you'll never have a complication, but it means that we're going to be uh, uh, prepared in pre the event. Yeah, prepared in the event that we have it and know how to, to handle it. Uh, any final notes you want to talk about or touch on before we close well, this I think out? We, I think we covered it. Um, and so the, the, my, my ending words on that is like be prepared, be aware, be educated. Yeah. Exactly. And um, tune in for more episodes of yeah. Beauty in the Brain because we're going to talk about a lot more hot topics like this and, and many other things, aesthetic. So thank you guys for joining us this uh, week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. We look forward to your continued questions. We really kind of uh, change our episodes and uh, add things based on what you're uh, submitting to us. So go check us out on our Facebook site. Submit your questions through that or our Instagram or even our website uh, for the practice, skinandtonic.pro. We look forward to seeing you next week. See you soon.